0: Just this week, um, I was watching the, uh, the news and um, the Chelsea boss, the Chelsea football team boss, Thomas Tuchel was uh, asked lots of questions. And uh, it was just ahead of the Luton uh, Chelsea game on Wednesday night. And uh, as he was asking all these questions about uh, the future of Chelsea and his views on, on, on what was going on, he, uh, he, he kind of lost it. And he said, listen, listen, you have to stop. You stop, have to stop asking me all these questions He said, listen, listen, listen. You have to stop. I'm not a politician. You have to stop. Honestly, I can only repeat it and I feel bad to repeat it because I've never experienced war. So even to talk about it, I feel bad because I'm very privileged. I sit here in peace. I do the best I can, but you have to stop asking me these questions because I have no answers for you got a powerful response, isn't it? You're saying, look, I, I sit here in peace. I can't really comment. I, I, I feel really bad about it. What, what, what else can I say? I wonder what you make of that response that he really was saying. I, I cannot comment on what you're asking me. I, I've got no experience of, for it and I feel really bad about it. I wonder what you think of his experience and what, it, what you think of your experience under what you think of his observation and what you think of our observation. The world at the moment is in this great tension, isn't it? Of invasion, of mass movements, of displacement. And here we are in the United Kingdom relatively in, in peace. There's this great tension, isn't there? And as a Christian in this country, We're we're observing what's happening. And just like Thomas Tuchel was asked these questions and he was saying, look, I, I don't know how to answer these questions, it might be the same for us, mightn't it? We're watching what's going on and we struggle to answer and respond to maybe people's questions. But whoever we are in the world, wherever we are in the world, we will all be affected by recent events. We're all going to be affected sooner or later, whether we're in the middle of what's happening right now or or whether we're far from it. We're, We're all dependent on each other. The world is far more linked together than it's ever been linked before. But as a Christian, if you have your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's this tension of knowing how to respond when you know that there is a difference between earth and eternity. There's a tension, isn't there, for us Christians. How do you respond when you know there's a difference between earth and eternity? The now and the not yet. That's what it is for the Christian, isn't it? It's the now and the the not yet. Peter is writing to these Christians who are scattered. He's writing to these Christians who are scattered, the, the dispersion. The exiles, they've, they've had to leave their home in their are in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. This is modern day Turkey. And he's, he's writing to encourage them, but he's also reminding them of the now, but not yet. And he's saying in the difference between earth and eternity in the now, but the not yet, he's reminding them in chapter one, verse 13, to be prepared in your minds for action and to be self-controlled and sober minded. He reminds them again in chapter 4, verse 7, and chapter 5, verse 8. He's reminding them as Christians in the now but not yet. And the difference between earth and eternity, as Christians, we're to be self-controlled. We're to be alert. We're to be ready for action. And there's this great tension in the Christian life. And Peter highlights this tension of... This temporary versus this permanent, this temporary, um, temporary life that we have versus this permanent residence that we're going to have when we are with Jesus. There's this temporary life that we have versus this permanent residence. So as we look at chapter one, just as we look at these few verses, we're thinking about the, the temporary versus this permanent. Verses one reminds us. That they're Christians, that they're the elect exiles. They're living away from their their home, temporarily residing exiles. They're not where they really want to be. But in God's sovereignty, according, verse 2, to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, God has placed them there. Acts 17 reminds you that God is working out his plans and he's placing Different people in different places in different times. And God is the one who is in control. And God is the one who is working out his plans. This temporary residence. This exile. This dispersion. God is working out his plans. It's likely that they ended up in those different places because of persecution. But there, 2,000 years ago, there were Christians that were spreading out into the world. But at the same time as Christians spreading out into the world, you've got God's word spreading out into the world. You've got the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. There's this temporary life. There's this this temporary exile versus this permanent residence that Peter writes about. When we think about where we live, when we think about how we live, there are different parts of the world, aren't they? They have different philosophies. Some people have a philosophy of, well, we rent, okay? That's, our, that's the way we live, we rent. And other people will say, no, no, we buy, and we've got to buy a house, and we've got to own it for ourselves. Different philosophies, owning versus leasing. Different cultures have different views on it. And then there's the idea of security, isn't there? And security can be expressed in, in many different ways in this life. Some people would express security in terms of having a job. Must have a job. Some people say, well, it's about my possessions. It's what I own. Some people will say it's about land. And some people will say it's about gold. Different cultures express security in different ways. But it's a question, isn't it? Of what is the price that somebody is willing to pay for their security? Some people pay more than others. And the Lord Jesus Christ... When he came into this world as a baby, he came with nothing. What did he own? Nothing. What did he live for? He didn't live for his own security, did he? But he came to bring about ours. It's striking, isn't it? That the God of gods, the Lord of the Lords, the King of kings, when he came into this world, he owned nothing. He didn't live for his security. And he taught his, it, it, those who'd follow him and he said to them, look, um, don't lay your hearts on things on earth that store treasure in heaven. But you see, there's a tension, isn't there? There's a tension, isn't there? We're, we're still called as Christians to be good stewards of everything that we, that we have and everything that we have comes from God. And we should help those in need, shouldn't we? We should help as we're able. There's nothing wrong, the Bible says, with with having possessions. There's nothing wrong with having houses. There's nothing wrong with with all of those things. There's nothing wrong with having them. But as Timothy reminds us, as when Paul writes to Timothy, it's the love of money that is the problem. Listen to what 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Striking, isn't it? It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evils. And it's the, it's the craving of that and the, the desire for that and the desire of love, the desire of money, the, de- uh, the, the love of money, the love of position, the love of power and all these other kinds of things that you say well i well i must have all this the love of that is the root of all kinds of evil and that kind of craving brings about many many kinds of difficulties for that kind of person but as a christian we're not called to a, a life of monastery we're told, don't follow after silver and gold. And perspective matters, doesn't it? In this temporary life versus this permanent residence that Peter talks about. Perspective matters, doesn't it? We might not be secure in the eyes of the world. And the world's idea of security. But in God's eyes, verse 2 according to the foreknowledge of god the father the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to jesus christ and for sprinkling with his blood may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the eyes of god if you're a christian you're secure you're secure you've been set apart you've been chosen and jesus christ has shed his blood for you which is why Peter can say, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's yours in in abundance. You can't measure it. Perspective matters, doesn't it? In a world which seems so temporary, that you are secure if you've put your faith in Jesus. I was expecting tonight that there might be a few younger people. So I had a question for some of the younger people. And I was gonna ask them this, how many of you can remember what it was like to be younger than 20? And I'm looking around, not many of you, okay? But can you remember what it was like to be younger than 20? I know some of you are gonna to have to stretch your mind a little bit further than others. Do you remember what it was like growing up? You wanted stuff, didn't you? You wanted stuff, didn't you, from your mum and dad, from your parents, whoever looked after you. You wanted stuff. And you'd ask for stuff, and you'd be taken to the shop, and you'd be saying, I I want that. And you, you just had this craving for it, didn't you? And you would nag, and you'd nag, and you'd nag, and you'd cry if you didn't get it. You can remember what that was like, can't you? Yeah? It was just one of those things. You had to have it. Imagine, though, that mum and dad told you You can have it, but you can't open it. You can have it, but you can't open it. Now, think about it, kids won't get this, but the most valuable toys are the ones that are not opened, yeah? They're the antiques, aren't they? They're the ones that come in the sealed packets. This is the, the, the toys going back 20, 30 years that you bought, but nobody ever opened. They're the ones that are worth the most. How would your children feel about that if you said, here's something from the shop, but you can't open it? It would be gutting, wouldn't it? It would be devastating, wouldn't it? Imagine you're a kid and you can't open it. How would you feel about that? What kind of a useful toy would that be? What kind of a useful thing would that be if you could buy it, but you couldn't open it, even though that would be the thing that would make it the most valuable? It would be pointless, wouldn't it? it would be useless wouldn't it? The usefulness of something that you cannot use is pointless. What good is money or a house or a career to a dying person? It's true, isn't it? What good is a house? What good is money? What good are many more things to a dying person there's no use for it is there but this is the good news of Jesus Christ that in this temporary life there is a permanent inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you there is a permanent inheritance verse 4 An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We're not talking about an antique that you keep all wrapped up that has got no use anymore apart from being put on a shelf. We're talking about a permanent inheritance for those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in the news as we watch the news today this last week it probably has flagged up for many of us that nothing is guaranteed nothing is certain things have happened that you would have never expected to happen and it has and it's almost you could say like this that Sunday on Sunday and midweek upon midweek Somebody gets up in a church and preaches this message and says, there is nothing that you can be certain of. And you can hear those words week by week and it can go in and come out of one year. But to finally see it on our TV screens, we really can be certain of of nothing. And the unexpected really can happen. It brings it much closer to home, doesn't it? But you see, the new birth that Jesus Christ gives us, this resurrection from the dead, it's absolutely 100% certain that there was this man who came into this world, Jesus Christ, and there is now a God man in heaven. And there is this place that he is preparing for. His people. And as we're reminded in verse 4 that it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power have been guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, you're reminded that that inheritance can never be taken away. That inheritance will never crumble, it will never fall down. And that you, or anyone else who puts their trust in Jesus is protected by God's power for that day. We have this temporary life, and he writes to these Christians who are living this temporary residence as exiles, but we have a wonderful permanent residence. There's great joy. Peter says, In this you rejoice. There's great joy in knowing that, isn't it, a Christian, that you have this permanent residence? There's this great joy in it. But, in the meantime, there's this tension, isn't there? There's this tension, because verse 6 says, In this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's great joy, but in the meantime, there's suffering. There's this tension of suffering and trials versus this permanent peace that we're going to have in this permanent residence. There's suffering and trials versus this permanent peace that we're going to have in this permanent residence. At the moment there's all these reporters and they're uh, trying to be very careful with what they say. And they're trying to be very careful what they say because they don't want you and I and others in the world to hear something that is not true. We live in a social media culture where many people can tell you things. And there's this great effort to make sure that what we hear is true. That it's not this fake news, but it's true news. And there's a a way of testing and and making sure that what you hear is is accurate. They wanna make sure that if you see something that you know it's really happened. There's a suffering sometimes that you cannot see. There's a suffering sometimes that you cannot see. Not all suffering can be seen. But God, he hears and he sees everything. He hears and he sees everything. He knows exactly what his children are going through. Can we quantify suffering? Can we measure it? Can we compare it? There are degrees of suffering, aren't there? And we need to pray for, for what is going on in our, on our world right now, or what we see on our TV screens. We need to do everything we can as Christians and as churches to help. But Peter uses a word that if you're suffering, you might find very difficult to hear. And it's this uses the word, a little while. It's a Difficult word to hear, isn't it? He says, short or little. Suffering for a short while, suffering for a little while. That can be really hard to hear, can't it? When somebody is going through suffering. And we don't know exactly what these Christians faced. We don't know the suffering they faced, it doesn't give us all the detail, but it seemed to be some sort of a localised kind of persecution. Various everyday life, all the challenges of, of, of maybe people criticising them or, or um, mocking them for, for following Jesus. They suffered various trials and various lengths of trials. We don't know exactly what they faced. Yet we know Jesus. He came into a fallen world and he suffered. And he is the pattern of our suffering if we're going to follow him. Remember what 1 Peter says later in chapter 3. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Jesus Christ suffered. He's our pattern of what it means to suffer if we're a Christian. And it's echoed then in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 25 to 28. And it talks about Jesus and his suffering. And let me read out. And Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, the representation of the true sanctuary, but into heaven itself. And he appears now in God's presence for us. And he did not enter... "...to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters into the sanctuary year after year with blood that is not his own, for then he would have to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But now he has suffered, he's appeared once for all, at the consummation of the ages to put away sin by his sacrifice. And just as people are appointed to die once and then to face judgment... So also after Christ offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. Jesus Christ suffered and died and he ascended into heaven. Sin has been paid for. It has been dealt with. He's died on the cross. He's been raised to life. The tomb was empty. And one day he will return. And that second time he returns, he's not going to bear more sin, but to bring salvation. My friends, there's, a, there's an end in sight. And when that end comes, there is no turning Back, there's an end in sight, and when that end comes, everyone will be held account and they will face God, and every knee will bow, and there will be an eternity to come. And Peter says, In this you rejoice, though. Now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. My friends, there's a, there's a context, isn't there, to our, to our suffering. There's a context to our trials. This isn't Peter saying, listen, get a grip. You know, it's not, it's, not, it's not Peter saying, get a grip. It's only for a little while. No, it's not him saying that. He's saying there's a context to our suffering. And as you consider your suffering, as you consider your trials, it's pointing out verse seven. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a context to it, isn't there? It's pointing out your faith as you're, as you're tested, as you're struggling. It's pointing out the preciousness of your faith. And Peter says it's even more precious than, than gold. I don't know where you see gold. Where do you, where do you normally see gold? We, we don't really talk about gold, but you you see it on, you see it on your fingers, don't you on rings. You go to a jeweler's shop. You see gold, don't you? Well let me tell you something. That's not gold. If you want to see gold, go to India, right? we it's, I'm I'm being serious now, you know, you walk down the high street, you go to jewellers, yes, you know, little, little, little uh, glass cabinets and gold here, gold there, gold there. Go to India, it's a different ball game altogether. Now, goodness me, you go to some places and they're massive, these jewellery houses. And you walk in, there's, there's security guards everywhere. And you go and sit down, and they offer you a cup of tea. Have you get that your jeweler's in, in the UK? Cup of tea? If you're a kid, they'll offer you mango juice. They'll offer you drinks. They'll offer you a chair. And they'll say, What would you like to look at? And they'll get a porter to go off, and you'll come back with these massive, massive crates. And you open the crates, and there's rings here, there's ring. And they'll say, Is that good enough for you? You say, No, no, I'm looking for something different. Take all the boxes away, you need to bring out more boxes. See, there's, there's this jewelry, and there's, this, there's Indian ladies, and they, they wear this stuff, and, and it's massive. You know, it's like, it's like medallions dangling, but that's what they wear. It's the culture of India and gold. It's precious, it's huge, it's a cultural thing. And there's shelves, and there's shelves, and there's shelves of it. And the world. It invests in gold, doesn't it? It's supposed to be right now the safest commodity. But is there anything more safe or precious than having a permanent peace with God? Where after this temporary life, you will have a permanent residence that will never perish spoil or fade. That you will have a permanent peace where there will be no more suffering or pain. The messages coming to us in our country have shifted, haven't they, within the space of just a fortnight. For the last two years, you've had this message of of COVID every day every week and the message has shifted isn't it and now every day it's it's about the invasion in Ukraine and about peace and about invasion and about war but the gospel message hasn't changed but there may need to be a shift in how we proclaim that message in a world that needs hope in the light of much suffering it's a global event we're all intertwined in one way, shape or form. And there'll be repercussions, maybe not today for us, but maybe next week or next month or next year. And Peter calls these Christians who are scattered, who are being reminded that actually even if you have own your own house or even if you've got your own security, even you are a temporary, re- temporary resident in this world whilst you wait your permanent residence. And he says, even us, we need to be sober. We need to be alert. And we need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. We live in tense times, don't we? And everyone's going to respond differently and there'll be different views about this and that. But we have a God who has already acted in history. And he's already acting today to bring about his purposes and his plans and his people. There's this tension of suffering versus permanent peace. And finally, there's this tension of not seeing, but believing. There in verse 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's this tension of believing in Jesus, but not being able to see him. This tension of living this Christian life now, but, but not yet being with, with Christ. The, the joy of believing versus the joy of obtaining. The joy of believing, the joy of obtaining the salvation of your souls. Zephon, as you know, um, well, maybe you don't know. Um, he's, he's a big Frozen fan. OK, he's a big Frozen fan. If you don't know what Frozen is, come and see me afterwards. He's a big Frozen fan. He's, he's watched the films and he listens to the music and he dances around the, the living room. But for his Christmas present, he got tickets to go and see Frozen, the musical in London. Can you imagine the twins on their first journey to London? They got train tickets. It was all part of the present. They got train tickets. They got seats on the train. They got colouring on the train. They got to go through the the Seven Tunnel. They got to London Paddington. Got to take pictures of the underground. They saw Big Ben, all of that. They got photos of going to see Frozen, the musical. Can you imagine the excitement on a a six-year-old's face of, I'm finally going to meet Elsa. So they were, in the, they were in the auditorium or whatever you call it. I'm not a musical fan, by the way. But anyway, you can see what I'm saying. So he took photos. You can imagine the lights dim. And you've got this picture. And it was as if he was standing. And finally, he obtained what he wanted to see for the last few years. And his jaw just dropped. You can imagine paying for the best seats in the house. What's he doing? He's standing up, isn't he? he wants to see everything. He's finally obtained it. He's finally got there. He's made the journey. He's finally kind of seeing her in the flesh. And he's just like, seriously, I've got these pictures. And he comes home, and I haven't been. And he brings back this really expensive, glossy program, you know, the ones that cost us silly amounts of money. And he's saying, Daddy, look, this happened. this happened and this happened and look at this and look what she's wearing and he just doesn't want to stop talking about what he's seen and heard we like thomas tuchel might not be able to talk about or um, say from our own experience about what's going on in another part of europe right now We might not have experienced it for ourselves, but we can speak of Jesus and what he's done to fix this beautiful and broken world. And we really can, with absolute certainty, tell people the good news about Jesus and tell them what has been given to us can also be given to them. So that in this broken world, where everything is temporary that they can have this permanent residence that they can have this permanent peace and that one day they will obtain the outcome of their faith the salvation of their souls and as we come to close we're reminded this aren't we in uh, 1 peter the end of chapter 1 all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. What a wonderful hope we have for this world. And it only comes in and through the Lord Jesus.